Hey, this is Chelsea Emery from Christ Walk Church, and this is our podcast. For more information about our church, visit thechristwalk.com. We hope this message encourages you to live for something more. Thanks for listening. What's up, Christ Walk? How is everybody doing today? Three people. Awesome. Well, how's everybody doing today? Yes! Man, it is so good to see you in the house of the Lord. I'm excited for today, kicking off a brand new series. If you've got a Bible, you've got a smart device, turn with me, swipe with me to the New Testament, the very first book there, the Gospel of Matthew. We call it the Gospel, uh, actually those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels because Gospel means good news, and those four books are good news because they tell of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to land there in the first Gospel, Matthew, and we are going to be in chapter one. We'll get there in just a minute. Um, but before we do, I, I want everybody, if you can, I want you to, uh, we, we need to, to, to practice some imagination this morning, Okay. So everybody, I know this might not be everyone's forte, not necessarily your cup of tea, but, but just hang with me, do your, do your best. I want everybody right now to imagine in your mind's eye, imagine a hamburger. Don't get up and leave and go to Wendy's or anything like, just, just imagine it. It'll still be there when church is over, but imagine a hamburger, right? Now, imagine that same hamburger with a side of French fries and a thick, chocolate shake, right? Okay, now, now I want you to shift gears a little bit. Imagine some tortilla chips, okay? You got it? Tortilla chips. Now I want you to imagine those tortilla chips with some salsa or some queso or some guacamole, right? Okay, you got it? Now, imagine a baked potato. Baked potato. Now, imagine that same baked potato, but, but this time it's with butter and sour cream and bacon bits and cheese and chives. Yeah? Loaded baked potato. All right, now imagine a bowl of vanilla ice cream. Now imagine that bowl of vanilla ice cream covered in hot fudge and sprinkles with whipped cream and with a cherry on top. Here's what I've come to realize. There is power in with. There is power in with. I I think that after doing that exercise and, and maybe even some of you when I said imagine those things, that's what you thought about already. That you, when you imagined a hamburger, you couldn't do it without also imagining french fries. When you imagined tortilla chips, there was also salsa and guacamole there. When you imagined that vanilla ice cream, it definitely had hot fudge and sprinkles and whipped cream and a cherry. Because with makes all the difference, right? With makes all the difference. But here's the deal. If that's the case, and if we would all agree to that, that with makes all the difference, then why is it so many of us choose to live our lives without? If with makes all the difference, why is it that so many of us willingly, knowingly, openly choose to live our lives without? Think about it. 
We're in marriages without intimacy. We're in families without peace. We're engaging with finances without provision. We go to a job every day without fulfillment. We have these bodies without health. We endure temptation for sin without any kind of freedom. This morning, you could probably fill in the blank in a number of areas where you are without in some place in your life. Maybe that's how you feel. Like when, when you take a look at your life and the, the scope of all that's going on, it's, it's various components that somewhere inside of your life, perhaps in, in multiple places, that, that there are areas that are just void. They're formless. They are without. It reminds me of all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis as part of the creation narrative, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters that in the beginning the earth was without. And God saw that that was not good, right? And so he said, I'm going to speak things into existence so that the earth could be with sky and water and land and trees and plants and vegetation and birds and fish and land-dwelling animals. And finally, you and me. And God said that it was good. God spoke and brought with to the world. But then man sinned turned his back on God and chose once again to live without. And so to remedy this, God sends Jesus to come to the earth. And and at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we read this in Matthew chapter 9. It says, it says, when he saw the crowds, speaking of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There they were. Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he find? He finds once again a world, a people choosing to live without. With had shown up. With was in their presence, yet they chose not to recognize him, and they chose instead to live without. But you and I were not meant to live that way. We have been called to live for something more. And this, in and of itself, is the overarching message of this holiday season. This is why Jesus came. And so today, we're kicking off a series that we're calling Hope for the Holidays, where over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at some of the different ways and reasons that you and I, that together, we can have and find, experience hope in the midst of this holiday season. And that begins with one small, simple, little word that I want to talk to you about today, with. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write that down really big at the top of the page, with. Matthew chapter 1, hopefully you've turned there or swiped there already. We're going to start in verse 18. It says this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married 
to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now we continue in verse 21. My favorite verse in all of the Bible right here, Matthew 1, 21. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so it's in these verses right here at the beginning of the New Testament in the very first gospel that the author, Matthew, who was also one of Jesus' disciples, where he presents us with, uh, as the reader with a brand new perspective on who God is. There's a theologian, a minister, and author by the name of Matthew Henry. He has a very famous commentary for those of you who might be Bible scholars. Perhaps you've heard of him. Um, He helps to uncover this particular perspective given to us by Matthew uh, when he gives us insights into the different lenses that you and I might utilize as we look through Scripture, the different lenses you and I might utilize to to view um, God, the the things that we use to, to shape the way that we see God. And he suggests that there are three of them. He suggests that there are three primary ways that through our reading of the scripture, these lenses that we can put on in order to to shape our view of who God is. And and the three are this nature, the law, and the gospel. First of all, if we look at God through through the lens of, of nature... Think of like Genesis, the creation narrative that, that as, as God is creating and he's, he's the, the father of all and he's calling things into existence. When, when we look at God through the lens of nature, we, we would see, see him as God above us. He's above us and he's, he's looking down from his throne in heaven and he's speaking these things into existence and he's, he's causing them to happen all around us. The second way that, that we can, uh, lens that we can use to view God is, uh, Matthew Henry suggests, is the law. And when you think about the law, I don't know about you, but I think of Moses up on top of the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and I think of all these rules and everything that all of a sudden now we have to, we have to follow and how that gets extrapolated and played out over the course of like Leviticus and, and all of those things. And, and then you think of, you think of um, uh, uh, the punishment that comes along with not being able to follow after those rules, that when we fall short, we get punished because of it. And when we view God through that lens, we see him, um, whereas in nature, we see him as God above us. When we view God through the lens of the law, we see him as God against us. This is where we get the idea of him sitting on his throne with like a lightning bolt, you know, ready to just on top of our heads whenever we mess it up and we get it wrong. So God above us, God against us. And then Matthew comes in and he presents this this totally different perspective here in the the opening verses of his book. 
because he gives us a brand new lens. It's this lens called the gospel. And the gospel tells us that, that a baby came to be born in a manger in this backwater town in Israel. And that when he showed up, they named him Emmanuel, that he was God with us. He's not God above us. He's not God against us. That when Emmanuel has come, that he is, through the lens of the gospel, we see that God is actually God with us. But perhaps you're sitting there this morning, perhaps you're watching with us online and you're thinking, yeah, that's great and all, but that was so long ago. Like how in the world could a tiny little baby with his golden fleece diapers, eight pounds, six ounces, don't even know a word yet, born over 2,000 years ago, how can he identify with the things that I'm experiencing here in 2020? The stuff that I've walked through, the things that we've had to endure, the suffering that has taken place in our lives, how possibly could that little baby born all that time ago be able to identify with what we are experiencing in the world today? There's an author, a Canadian author, her name's Ann Voskamp, um, she would explain it this way, answer that question this way. She said, God knows suffering. He chose to be born in the middle of genocide. God knows suffering. He chose to be born as a minority, a refugee. God knows suffering. He chose to come from a place where people said no good thing could come from. God knows suffering. He chose to be poor. He chose to absorb pain. He chose to be powerless. We may not know why God doesn't stop all the different kinds of suffering, but we definitely know it's not because he's indifferent. God is so moved by our being entangled in suffering that he moved himself into our world and entangled himself in the suffering with us. God with us us. That's right. He chose. He chose to step into the mess of a world that was without so that he could be with, that he could fulfill that promise, that he could become Emmanuel, that he could be God with us to bring salvation, to bring freedom, to bring hope to a world that is turned upside down and is spinning out of control with political unrest, with social injustice, with religious persecution. So in the midst of all of that, you can't convince me that he can't identify. You can't convince me for one second that he doesn't understand exactly what it is that you and I are facing exactly what it is that we are going through. But the breakdown takes place because somewhere along the line, you and I, followers of Jesus, we've, we've bought into the lie that life in Christ results in a bunch of sunshine and rainbows all the time. And perhaps you've even been taught that once upon a time by a well-meaning pastor or, or leader, and they've convinced you that, man, if you'll just give your life to Jesus, everything's gonna be fine. You're never gonna experience pain. You're never gonna have to walk through sorrow. Hurt's gonna go away. You're gonna have all the money in the bank. You're never gonna have any problems. Jesus coming doesn't mean that we're not going to experience 
difficulty or face adversity. This is just, it's, it's a misnomer and it's really bad theology, if I could just say that. Doesn't mean that we're going to escape that stuff, but what it does mean is that we don't have to walk through it or experience it alone. We are going to experience it, but we don't have to be alone in the middle of it. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 43, verse 2. He says, when you go through the deep waters, this is God speaking, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. It's right there. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. It says it right there. It's not if. It doesn't say if you go through the deep waters. No, it says when. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. When is it going to happen? And when it does happen, this brings along a couple promises. Number one, it says the promise is bad stuff is going to happen to you, right? It just is. There's nothing we can do to escape it because we, are, we live in an imperfect and a broken and a sinful world and because of that, bad stuff's gonna happen to us. And then number two, the, the promise is, is that, that, that when it does happen, he is going to be with us. When it does happen, he's going to be with us. Can, consider his track record just from this verse alone. When you go through deep waters, I think of Moses. And the people of Israel all stacked up behind him. And then behind them, you've got, you've got the Egyptians in their army and their chariots and they're chasing after them. And, and they are standing on the edge of the Red Sea and it looks hopeless. But yet Moses extends that staff and God sets up a wall of water on this side and God sets up a wall of water on this side. And it says the people walk through on dry ground to the other side. And then the water closes in and it swallows up and kills the Egyptian army who followed in behind them. You can't tell me that that's not what that's talking about. The people of Israel, God's people walking through deep waters and he was there with them to protect them. I, I think of uh, when you go through rivers of difficulty, I think of Joshua having taken the baton, the, the, the torch passed from Moses down to Joshua and he's now leading the people of Israel into the promised land and, and they're standing there on the bank of a, of a flooded and overflowing Jordan River as, as the, the picture of Jericho looms ominously in the distance and they're not sure what to do. And God says, get the priests, get the Ark of the Covenant, step out. And they step out into the water and the water stops flowing and the people are able to cross once again through the river of difficulty on dry ground to step into the promise that God had for them. He was right there in the middle of that with them. When, when you talk about the fire of oppression, I think of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego who said, I'm not going to bow. When the music plays, we don't care. You can throw us into the furnace, but we will not bow. And so they refused to bow. And so Nebuchadnezzar had them tossed in and the fire was so hot that it killed the soldiers that threw them into the fire. But then to his amazement, he said, didn't I throw three young men into that fire? 
And they said, yes, king, you did. And he said, then why do I see a fourth in there walking around with them who is of the image of the son of man? Come on, whenever we face that stuff, he is right there in the middle of it with us. We can't escape it, but we don't have to because he's gonna be there protecting us, leading us, guiding us every step of the way. That is his promise to us. That's what it means for him to be God with us. But then on the heels of everything that we've experienced this year alone, all the bad stuff, just the normal bad things that can happen to people during the year, all compacted and compiled upon by this global pandemic and everything that we've been dealing with and all of the changes that have taken place, it would be very easy for us to sit here on the first Sunday of December and look around and wonder, where is he? Like, I really don't see him. Like, how can you say that God is here in the middle of all of this? And can I just be honest? As we've walked through this, together as a church and as a community, there have been some things that I've come up against this year that I've wondered the same thing. That, that when I look around, I've, I've wondered from time to time, God, are you, are you really here in the middle of this? Have, have, you, ab- have you abandoned us completely? Or are, are you still here? Because in in the midst of all of the suffering, in the middle of all of the mess, oftentimes those lines, let's be honest, like things can get blurred. And and confusion sets in and, and, and it becomes difficult to see things with clarity any longer. And sometimes, because of the things that we experience, the the pain and the hurt, the doubt, the confusion, the fear, the anger, all of those things compiled and compacted together, they're just too great for us. And it seems like no matter how hard we try to find him, that God is simply nowhere to be found. Maybe I'm just talking to me this morning. But maybe that's how you feel today. Let me encourage you. If that's where you're at, you need to know he's there. He's there. It may not be easy to spot, but he's there. And you and I, we can find him if we just look a little bit closer. Because after all, he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. So if you're taking notes, write these down. Four keys to finding God in the middle of the holiday mess. Four keys to finding God in the middle of the holiday mess. Just real quick, very practical. The first one is this. We need to slow down. We need to slow down. This is the time of year when it seems like everything speeds up. And Christmas happens to us. And the new year happens to us. And we find ourselves somewhere in mid-January wondering where it all went, right? Like feeling like beat up in the middle of January and then we're back into that next cycle of a brand new year 
and all of those things again. So a remedy for that, a way to find Jesus in the middle of all of that mess is to simply slow down. I'm talking about rest. I'm talking about Sabbath. I talked about this at, at length in a, in a series we did just a couple months ago. But we need rest. We need Sabbath. We need to slow down. We need to stop. We, we, we can't rush past the manger. We need to, to stop and take a knee and spend some time there with Jesus who has come as Emmanuel to be God with us. We need to spend some time reflecting and, and celebrating God's goodness and faithfulness in our lives. But if we aren't careful, we'll rush through things too quickly and we'll just blow right by it. And we won't have taken advantage of the opportunity that we have to slow down, to stop, to peer over into the manger and look into the face of Emmanuel. So we need to slow down. We need to practice rest and Sabbath. Number two, not only do we need to slow down, we also need to look up. We need to look up. I'm talking about worship. This among, you know, it, it, over and above any other season is a time where we worship. Oh, come all you faithful. Oh, come let us adore him. Joy to the, like all of those, those Christmas songs that we know, that we love, those hymns that we've sung for years and years and years, they all point us to worship our heavenly father. But if we're not slowing down, then chances are we're probably not taking the time we need to do to worship. That's what this season is all about. We are worshiping the king who has come to this earth. Yeah, he didn't come in the package we thought he would but it doesn't mean that he's any less worthy of the worship that you and I have. It's an opportunity for us to come and to pour out upon him out of the overflow of the blessings and the abundance of our life, his goodness and faithfulness to us. We, we worship him and, and we do that by, by experience, coming, coming to, to experiences like this and, and being a part of church in person, online, whatever that looks like for you, but carving out time and making these kinds of things a priority. We worship him by digging into his word, by making a commitment, reading the Bible, uh, uh, digesting his word to us, going deeper in his word. That's, that's how we worship, through engaging with him in prayer. That's not just us talking to God, it's, it's God talking to us. We look up as we serve other people, as we, we give of our, our time and our talent and our treasure, our testimony, as we practice generosity, all of those things we do as worship unto the king. That's not going to happen accidentally. We're not going to slip and fall into that in the middle of this holiday rush. It's something that we have to be intentional about. So we slow down, rest, Sabbath. We look up, worship. Number three, we need to get around kind of thinking about the beach boys right there a little bit i get around i get some of y'all are like i'm a teenager i've never heard that song before shame on your parents shame on your parents we need to get around i'm talking about community talking about community and the holidays can be so lonely so lonely we got to get around other people we have to be in circles. We have to engage in relationship with other like-minded believers for support and encouragement. You need to be in a life group. 
You need to be on a serve team. You need to be around people who have the same goals, the same dreams, the same drive that you do. You need to be gathering around the dinner table with family and friends, like-minded individuals. You gotta be doing that. You have to take time for that. Community is so important. It's how we were designed to live. It's not going to happen accidentally. In the midst of that community, as we're, as we're doing life together, we'll find Jesus in those moments. We'll be strengthened. We'll be encouraged. Yeah, it takes time. Yes, it takes effort. But if we'll do it, that's, we will find, man, there's God with us in this place. Slow down. Look up. Get around. Number four. Perhaps the most important, we've got to let him in. Let him in. Don't be like the innkeeper who said, I'm sorry, there's not any room. Do you ever wonder about that guy? Do you ever wonder if he ever fully realized what he shut the door to? that night? Do you ever think it came full circle? What about us? We've got to let him in. We can't be like the innkeeper. We can't shut him out to our lives. So my question for you, and it's probably the most important one that I could ask today is, what parts of your life have you looked at Jesus and said, no, I'm sorry, it's off limits. There's no room for you here. What activities are you participating in that you've said, no, Jesus, this isn't for you. You're only over here. What websites are you going to? What movies are you watching? What are you doing behind closed doors in the dark where nobody's looking? What are those areas of your life where you said, no, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna put up my front, I'm gonna pretend like I've got it all together, but, but that's the only place, Jesus, that you're allowed. You're not allowed over here. What are the things that you're still holding on to that Jesus came to set you free from? Bitterness, anger, fear, doubt, confusion, frustration. What are those things that, that you continue to take hold of instead of releasing them to Jesus. That's no gift. Nobody wants to wake up to that under the tree on Christmas morning. Here's a big box full of fear. Here's a heavy burden. Here's some bitterness. Nobody wants to open that, but yet we do and we hold on to it. Yay! That's not why Jesus came. What are we holding on to that we need to let go of? Maybe the greatest gift that you could give yourself this Christmas season is to receive his freedom. You don't have to carry that stuff anymore. You don't have to live that way anymore, but it all depends on you making the choice to let him in. Will you let him in? Maybe you need to let him in today for the first time. Maybe he's been knocking on the door for years now. 
for whatever reason, you've just never opened yourself to him. If that's you this morning, maybe you're watching with us online. I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. If that's you and, and you would say, Pastor Blake, for the first time, I'm ready to let Jesus into my heart and my life. I'm ready to call on him as Lord and Savior. If that's you, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's gonna be right here on the screen if you need it. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. And I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. For someone today, that could be the greatest gift that you could ever choose to receive. Here's what I believe though. In the middle of the mess of this holiday season where we look around and all the things that we're facing and, and it can be difficult to even believe or think that God is anywhere close. I believe that if we'll slow down, if we'll look up, if we'll get around, and if we will let him in, if we'll do those things, we'll come to realize that he's not far away. He's been right there all along. And his presence in our lives will start to come into crystal clear focus. I'll leave you with this thought here this morning. Because he chose with, we don't have to choose without. Because he chose with, we don't have to choose without. So in which one of those areas do you need to raise the level in your life? In your slowing down, your practice of rest and Sabbath? Is it in your looking up, your practice of worship? Engaging with him through his word and through prayer, through serving, through generosity? Is it through getting around, being in community with other like-minded believers? to celebrate his goodness and his faithfulness, or maybe it's simply just once and for all, letting Jesus in, not holding anything back from him. God, you have it all. I'm not just gonna give you 99.9%. I'm gonna go all in, all the chips to the middle. It's 100%. Which one of those areas do you need to raise the level in your life? Because see, the choice is ours to make because God already made his. He could have been God without us, but he chose to be God with us. And because he chose with, we don't have to choose without. He's Emmanuel, he's God with us. That is hope for the holidays. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you refuse to allow us to remain without, but that you saw fit to send your one and only son, your most prized possession, the greatest thing that you could ever do, that you sent him to this earth as a little baby. As God with us, 
Lord, that he didn't stay a little baby. He grew up to become a man who would die on a cross, who would be buried and who would rise again from the dead so that we could experience the fullness of life that you have for us. Lord, I pray that as we walk through this holiday season, Lord, that we wouldn't hurry through it, that, that we wouldn't push through, that, that we wouldn't find ourselves mid-January wondering what happened and where it all went, but that we would slow down. We would take a knee by the manger, that we would look over and peer in, that we would see Emmanuel, God with us face to face. God, I pray that we would spend time looking up, that, that we would engage in worship unto you our time, our talent, our treasure, our testimony, that we would practice servanthood and generosity, God, that, that we would be a people who, a church who is identified by those characteristics. Lord, I pray that we would get around, that we would be in community with other believers, other like-minded individuals, and that through those relationships, Lord, that you would bring strength and courage and encouragement. God, I pray we would let you in. That we wouldn't compartmentalize things any longer. We wouldn't hold anything back, but that once and for all, as our gift to you this Christmas, we would give you all of ourselves and that we would receive your greatest gift of your son, Jesus, so that we could be forgiven, that we could be set free, and that we could have life everlasting. For each and every person that is within earshot of my voice, I pray that the holidays would be filled full of hope because you chose to be with us so that we could choose not to be without. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.